Well, it's an honor to be with you guys this morning, and I hope everybody enjoyed their time with family and whatever you might have been doing for Christmas, um, and now we're looking forward to the new year. And uh, as Andrew said, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 8, specifically verses 1 through 10, and what I'm going to do is ask you guys to stand up as we read the Word of God today, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get started. Joshua chapter 8. Starting in verse 1, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise and go to Ai. See that I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as the booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 men of valor and sent them away by night. He commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lay an ambush against the city behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but you all be ready. Then I and the people who are with me will approach the city and will come about it, and then they'll come out against us as at first, and then we shall flee before them. For they will come out after us till they have drawn from the city, for they will say, they are fleeing before us at first, therefore we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be that when you have taken the city, that you shall set the city on fire, according to the commandment of the Lord you shall do. See, I have commanded you. Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai, on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people, and went up, and he and the elders of Israel, before the people of Ai. Dear Heavenly Father, we do humbly come before you, and first we praise you for who you are. We praise you for your word. We praise you for what it can teach us, for it can live inside of us. Lord, ultimately we ask that you open our ears that you open our hearts so that we might learn, so that we might take on your word and live our lives differently. We ask that humbly in your name. Amen. You guys may be seated. As Andrew was saying, this is that weird type of time of the year when you had Christmas and now you're looking forward to the New Year's. Some people are working, some people have off, some people took off. Um, I was somewhere in between the middle where I took off, I was working, but I wasn't working. I was at my family's place. I was driving a lot. I actually came in last night late from Georgia, and uh, now I'm excited to be here. But as I was thinking about preparation, and you'll see this is kind of a weird area of scripture to go into when you're thinking about the new year and new year resolutions, um, but I was really thinking about, you know, what's next for me? And it's only natural to want to reflect back at this time of year at what all had happened throughout the year and all the success that you might have had or all that you might have accomplished. I mean, this year was a huge year for me. Uh, January 1st um, of this year, I had my second son. And then later on this year, I moved my entire family from New Jersey down to Florida uh, kept the same job, but I changed positions completely within the company. And uh, so it's been big. 
But the deeper that I looked at my life and everything that I'd gone through the year, I became somewhat depressed. I came, I, I started taking, it started taking a toll on me on how much I've really failed throughout this entire year and how much that I have not actually accomplished that I wanted to accomplish. And I was reading some statistics that Harvard put out and it said that um, less than 8% of people that make a New Year's resolution keep it throughout the entire year. 80% fail before February is even over. And I tend to believe that the 8% that said that they keep it, they failed also, they just can't admit it. But whether it is lose weight or eat healthier or have a better self-improvement that year or do better with your finances or quit smoking, whatever it is, there's something that people struggle with. Everybody chooses a New Year resolution that they want to improve on or it's something that they're struggling with that they want to do, but most of us fail. And that's the true fact is that we fail. And Merriam-Webster defines failure as a lack of success or falling short. And to me, that's such a simple definition, falling short. That's what failure is. How hard is it to admit that you failed? How hard is it to admit that you are a failure in some way, shape, or form? You see, we're all failures. It's tough to say. It's tough to hear. And it's tough to admit. I failed epically yesterday. I had this brilliant plan on our drive down to, to, uh, back down to Florida from Georgia that last night when my wife was feeding our kids dinner in the back seat as we were driving down, that as she started to climb over the seats, that I would do a brake check going at 75 miles per hour thinking it was funny. My wife didn't think it was funny. It was an absolute fail. I was, found myself sitting there laughing by myself when my wife just you know, looked over at me. But it was an absolute failure. It was a lack of success. It was a falling short in her eyes. You see, that is what Joshua had just come out of. Now, to bring us back in time a little bit to where we are in Joshua chapter 8, let's go back to Joshua chapter 6. I'm not going to have you guys turn there. I'm going to briefly describe it. But in Joshua chapter 6, you see, they just marched around the city of Jericho and watched a great miracle where the walls just fell. They fell apart. And so Joshua is coming off of this amazing time in his life where he's seeing God just work. But even before that, if you look at Joshua's life, you know, prior to that, he was the courageous spy for Moses. And he wasn't just the courageous spy for Moses. He assumed the mantle of leadership after Moses died. You know, Moses is dead. Now it's Joshua's time. And it wasn't just Joshua's time. You know, they got to, um, they got to this crazy part where they were at the, the river of Jordan, and it looked as if it was almost impossible to cross. And when the priest stepped in, the, the land went dry. And so he just witnessed this miracle. Then going into that event, the walls of Jericho fall down. He's at this absolute high. And I'm looking at him, and I'm saying, this guy's a stud. This guy's an all-star. This is the type of guy that I would want on my elementary team dodgeball team. I mean, this guy is going to kill it. But now something happens in Joshua 7. The chapter begins with the word but. You see, there's going to be a major failure that happens in chapter 7. You see, directions weren't followed and sin crept in. And so this tie that Joshua is on is slowly coming to just a hard fall. And what had ended up happening was that, the, that Moses 
handed off everything. Joshua is doing a great job, and then something happens in the camp. They capture a city. One of the members take uh, all the silver. They bring it. They bury it under their tent. They were commanded to leave everything there. It was the first city that they captured. And the first fruits were supposed to be of the Lord, so they were supposed to leave everything behind, but someone decided it was smart just to take some. That was the first sin. We also see that before they go to capture I and this great failure, that Joshua doesn't seek the Lord. It was one of the things that Moses had commanded him. And so we see this, this, this thing starts to happen, and all of a sudden, all the men, they go to Ai, and they go to fight, and they send 3,000 men because they figured, you know what, this is going to be an easy battle. This is a small city. It's nothing big. We just conquered the massive Jericho, and they end up losing. And they didn't just lose. They lost 36 men's lives. So this is Joshua that's never lost anything, that's been on this upward hill. All of a sudden, everything comes crushing down on him, and he's lost 36 of his men, and he's sitting there, and he's like, I don't know what to do. He feels the weight of everything on him as the leader. He feels the weight of failure on him. You see, it starts with but, and it only gets worse. His self-confidence took over. He decided that he didn't need to seek the Lord beforehand. And when it all fell down and fell, we see in Joshua 7 what Joshua does. And it says, And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over to the Jordan at all, to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Oh, that we... I'm sorry. Oh, that we had been content and dwell on the other side of the Jordan. He says, why? Why did you even take us on this side of the Jordan? He's at a point where he doesn't know what to do, and he's just crying out to God, and he has anger inside of him, and he doesn't realize everything that's going on, and the weight of everything and the weight of failure is just upon him. You see, I don't know if anybody has ever felt this type of failure, but he failed in front of his men. He failed in front of the enemy, and he failed in front of God. And the weight of all that is causing him to collapse. You see, I don't know if anybody's ever lost a job or you flunked an exam or your marriage went south or your business went broke or whatever it was, sin crept in. You've probably failed before. Every single one of us have felt what failure is like. And it's not fun. It's not something that we were ever meant to feel. You see, when we look at the biblical characters that we all look up to, David, he failed epically with Bathsheba. We look at um, Elijah. He had just conquered uh, this amazing feat and saw miracle after miracle, and he finds himself in a desert wishing that God would take his life. You see Jonah, who runs and finds out that his failure is going to end him in the belly of a whale. Then you look at real life. Thomas Edison, you guys know how long it took him to get the light bulb correct? A thousand times. A thousand different tests that failed before he got the light bulb correct. You see, failure is a form of quicksand. If we don't take immediate action when it comes to failure, we're only going to sink. So the real question is, is how do we deal with this? There's a quote that's going to be up on this board by Winston Churchill that I'd like to read to you guys. It says, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. 
So how do we deal with failure? We continue. We move forward. We get up. That's what God tells uh, Joshua in verse 10 of chapter 7. He says, listen, get up, Joshua. Stop lying there. Stop feeling pitiful about yourself. Stop feeling depressed. You failed, but guess what? Get up. That's what I'm going to command you to do. He says, listen, Israel has sinned, but you have a responsibility to get up. Now, what ends up happening in chapter 7 after God tells them to get up, you see, their sin was judged by God. Achan, the guy that stole all the loot, his sin was, he was judged. He faced the consequences. His life was taken. But then they repent. And that's the key whenever we find ourselves um, facing failure, is we need to examine our lives and see if there's an area that we need to repent in. And so they deal with this repentance, and then when they deal with this repentance, it's time to move on. And that's where it brings us to chapter 8, where we'll begin our study now. Um, But Chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise, go up to Ai, and see that I have given it into your hand, the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. The very first thing that we see here, and the first point that I have for you guys today, is the way to conquer failure is to first receive. First point is receive. In verse 1, we see that Joshua is receiving from God encouragement. The first step to regaining victory is to receive encouragement from God. You must first receive encouragement from God. He says, do not be afraid or dismayed. That was God's encouragement to Joshua. And you have to understand what these words mean to Joshua. When Joshua was getting ready to be the spy for Moses, Moses said those words to him. Before Moses died, Moses said those words to him. Before, right when Joshua takes on all of the leadership in Joshua chapter 1, God said these exact words to him in chapter 1. These words were heavy. God understands and knows what every single one of us need to hear. You see, God is very special. He knows that failure should push us to want to receive help and encouragement. We usually tend to seek help and encouragement after failure from the ones that are closest to us. It's funny. I don't know if anybody has ever uh, purchased um, the organic. I think that's what it is. It's organic peanut butter. My wife just started getting it at Costco in like the two packs. And I went to open it the other day. And when I opened it up to rip off the the plastic thing, all of a sudden oil poured all over my shoes. And I didn't realize that, you know, there's oil on the top. It's like crazy amount of oil, and you have to sit there and churn it. It's like you're churning butter, but it's peanut butter. And it's like I had to do all this to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for my kids. But I'm sitting there, and just to paint the picture to make it even to tell you how big of a failure this actually was, I just poured water all over my pants. So I threw my pants in the dryer. And so now I'm standing there, and I buttoned down, in my underwear, and I have my flip-flops on, and I'm trying to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for my kids, and when I open up the peanut butter, and the oil goes all over my shoes, and I looked at my wife, and I go, what do I do now? And it was like, I could complete, I was like, I was just in shock of everything that's going on, and so I have all this oil all over my shoes, and she goes, take your shoes off, wash them in the sink, and then put paper towels down, and then put your feet back in them, and walk around for a little bit, and 
I thought that was a brilliant idea. So I sit there in the sink washing my shoes off and I put paper towels down and then I start uh, putting my feet in and I'm sitting there, I'm putting the peanut butter on the sandwich and I look down and I have flip-flops on with, with paper towels sticking out the side and I said, this is the most ridiculous looking thing that I could possibly do. I, I go fishing all the time and I get blood all over my flip-flops. I just wash them off and I put them back on. But now I'm standing there in the kitchen with like these paper towels like squirting like all out and I'm sitting there in my underwear and in my dress shirt and I'm looking and I'm like, what? I looked at my wife and I go, why did I listen to you? Why did I go to you after my failure for help? And, and I, was, I was laughing about it. She started laughing about it and she was doing the dishes and um, I was thinking about it. Joshua chose the right person to go to after his failure. He chose the right person to receive help from. He chose God. He had an intimate relationship with God. And so when he had failed completely, he knew exactly who the first person he had to turn to. And so he cries out to God and he says, God, why? Why? And all anger and everything inside of him and all of his humanity, he still talks to God like he is a best friend. Because he knows that he can receive help. He knows that he can receive encouragement from God. You see, that's what we need when we fail. We need to receive. And it's quite typically the opposite. I mean, I don't know about you guys. There's multiple different ways. When I've, I can go stand up here all day and tell you about all the different times I've failed in my life, and you guys would probably have like a heyday laughing. But there's different types of failure that I encounter. There's the, there's the failure where it was just like an epic fail, and we laugh it off. Then there's times where it's like an epic fail, and then you're so embarrassed you don't tell anybody, and you just want to hide it. And then there's times that you failed completely, but it looks like on the outside that you did a good job, so then everybody's patting you on the back saying, good job, but in the background, you really know what happened, and it's eating you apart, everything about it, and you're just sitting there. But if we don't find ourselves looking to receive encouragement from God and to receive encouragement from others, we can find ourselves quickly in a pit, and we can find ourselves depressed and we can find ourselves hurting, and we can find ourselves not wanting to communicate to anybody around us. You just want to be alone. God never intended that. And so the first thing that God does to Joshua is encourage him. God doesn't want us to be depressed. God was not depressed. God is a, get up, wipe it off. Throw some dirt in it and let's go. Let's keep on moving. Let's get things right. You guys have repented. You have done the first thing that needed to happen in order to get right with me again. You guys have already done it. Now let's keep it moving. You've repented. Let's move on. And so he receives encouragement. It's Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 13. It's going to be on uh, the screen for you guys. It says, Brethren, do I not count myself to have apprehended? But one thing I do is forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You see, Paul knew what it meant to continue. He knew what it meant to pers persevere. This comes from Philippians. And to give you a little background, Paul is sitting in prison. And it's the end of his life and end of his ministry. And he's sitting there and he's saying these things. And to the world, he looks like an absolute failure. His whole job was to preach the word of God. And what does he do? He gets arrested. And so to the world, they're all saying, oh yeah, he did, he did a terrible job. The guy's sitting in jail. He can't do what he was meant to do, whatever it may be. But he had encouragement. 
And he's able to speak these words about moving on and persevering despite what he's going through because he received encouragement. He first had a relationship with God, and God continued to encourage him through his time. Then we see the church sends a fellow brother, Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus is there to help and encourage him. You see, Paul understood what it meant, and he understood the need for encouragement. We have to receive encouragement. Now, to me, it's like an awkward thing, like, you know, uh, to receive encouragement. Like, hey, you're, you're going to do a great job. And it's like, well, yeah, I'm either not or I'm going to. But it's this weird thing where I don't want people to say, oh, yeah, Russ, you can do it. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. We need that, though. We need a coach on our side. We need somebody on our side to encourage us when we fall. We need someone to help pick us up. That's what the church is there for. But ultimately, we have God there. He realized that. Now, you see, God did not abandon Joshua despite their failures. He did not abandon the children of Israel. They dealt with their failure before God with repentance and dying to self. And once they were able to deal with their failure, with repentance and dying to self, they were able to look forward to receiving what God had for them. They were able to, to forget the things that were behind, and they were able to reach forward for what it is because they received from God. You see, as we continue and now into verses uh, 2 through 8, um, it goes from receiving this encouragement to the idea of rebuild. And so you first must receive, then you must rebuild. And it's verse 2 as it reads, and it says, And you shall do to I and to its kings as you did to Jericho and its kings. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves, lay in ambush for the city and behind it. And continuing all the way through verse 8, you see this plan that God is giving Joshua. God gave him this plan. You see, their first plan on attacking the exact same city that they're getting ready to attack again, let's send some spies. The spies go there. They check it out and they say, hey, it's a small city. There's not much we can do. Send a couple thousand people. So they send a couple thousand people. And when they come back, they're all running. 36 of them are dead. They completely failed. Now Joshua goes before God and he says, now do I do? God gives him the plan. You see, the idea of rebuilding is that we must rebuild our plan. Your human plans will fail, just like in their first attack with I. When we rebuild our plan, we have to build our plan with God's plan. How many of you guys growing up had a best friend and you decided to start a company with them? And you're like a little kid, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to start a company. I mean, I tried starting a T-shirt company with my best friend growing up in, in high school, and it ultimately failed. But when you're young, you have all these plans to do things, and they either don't get carried out or you ultimately fail doing it. And I remember when I was younger, my friend came up with this brilliant idea, and he said, he said listen, Russ, there's this national marathon in the Bahamas. Let's run in it. And to give you guys an idea, I'm not a runner. Um, I never was a runner, and I still will never be a runner. Um, I was a swimmer, and I loved swimming, and I was good at it. But he looked at me, and he says, you know what? Let's run in this marathon. And I was like, okay, yeah. You know, this is a month and a half out before the marathon is supposed to begin. And I said, yeah, yeah, we can do it. 
you know, we'll do it. We'll, 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 we'll make different changes in our lifestyle. And first we said that we were going to start training and running. And I think we made it up to a five-mile run on like the first week. And that was, that was the extent of our running. Then I was, I was a fit guy back then, and I was about 215 pounds. So my next brilliant plan was let me drop 30 pounds. And if I drop 30 pounds, I'll be much skinnier, and then I can run like you see these guys on TV that are extremely like anorexic skinny, and it'll do good. So I literally dropped 35 pounds. And in, in, a, matter of, uh, in a matter of a month, I dropped 35 pounds. It helped I also went to Haiti, and they were just serving sardines and rice. And so I wasn't eating much but rice, and uh, that also helped. And our next plan was is that we need to carb up the night before the run. And so we actually had a burrito night. And we're sitting there, and we just ate burritos upon burritos, which is rice and pasta. And we were sticking everything that we could think of inside these burritos so that we would have carbs for the next day's run. And so we showed up the next day for the run, and it did not go as planned. Um, it was the worst three and a half hours of my life. And once I finished... I didn't realize the extent that I was going to be walking around like this for the next two weeks because I didn't have on actual running shoes. I had those like uh, Nike Freeze that you could like bend in half completely with no support. I didn't have those gel packs that you see everybody have to get energy throughout the entire thing. So my body absolutely like disintegrated throughout the entire run. At the end, when I crossed, two people picked me up and brought me over to a doctor and the doctor goes, it's crazy how all this training and your body still takes this beating. And I was like, yeah, I didn't train at all. <laughs> and I was ruined. I was absolutely ruined because I had this plan and I had my own plan in mind that I could do this despite, you know, how hard it is. You see, you see, read about hundreds of people that run marathons every year. I'm, if, I'm young. I'm fit. I can do it. I don't need to train. I don't need to do all these things that these guys are doing. I don't need to wear these special shoes to help you have support and not fracture your feet and so that you can walk on it. But we all have these plans. And if we solely stick to our plan, the majority of the time we're going to fail. And it's not until we inject God's plan into our life that then we'll truly see success. You see... We can never build our own plans. We must constantly be looking to build God's plan. Psalm 37.4, you guys will see it on the screen real quick, but this is the way to build God's plan. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. When I first became a Christian, this was the greatest verse I, you could possibly read. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you whatever you want. That's how, that's how I looked at it. And it wasn't until I actually started reading it and studying it and I heard someone teach on it that I truly understood what it meant. And the first part of it says, delight yourself also in the Lord. And you see, delight comes from the goodness and the blessings of God. You have to recognize that. that that's where you'll only find true delight is in the goodness and in the blessings of God. So it's a command. You have to find yourself delighting in the Lord. So find yourself Receiving goodness and blessings from God. Well, how? And he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, listen to this. One who truly delights in the Lord, they will find that their heart and their desires will change. The more that you find yourself spending time with the Lord, your heart and your desires are going to change. You see, you're going to find your heart and your desires steadily aligning with God's heart and his desires. 
And so the more time that you spend with God, the more you're going to want to do the things that God wants you to do. The more time you spend reading his word, the more time you find understanding who he is, the more you're going to desire to be like Jesus. So what is this truly saying? Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Your ultimate desires are going to be the same desires that God has. And who better to give you the desires than the man that can create the path and tell you how to get there? God desires us to have his desires. He desires to take us there. He desires to teach us. He desires to show us. It's, it's the famous Bible verse, Proverbs 3, 5, 3, 5 and 6 that you learn as a kid. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. That's the idea is that God's going to direct your path. So you want to stay clear of failure and you want to continue to walk in success. You have to find yourself letting God direct your paths. You see, in these verses 2 through 8, it's describing God's plan for them. And as you read through the plan, and if you were to go back to uh, chapter 7 and read their plan, they're complete opposite. They thought they knew what they were doing, and they failed. God knew what he was doing, and they won. We can never solely rely on our own wisdom on our own thoughts, on our own desires. We have to find ourselves aligning ourselves with God's thoughts, with his desires. We have to find ourselves ultimately rebuilding our plan to look like God's plan. And the only way that we can do that is finding ourselves spending time with him. And once we find ourselves spending time with him, and once we understand what God wants for us, and once we understand the plan that he has put forth, it brings us to our next point in verse 9 and 10. And it reads, Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush, and they stayed between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning, and he mustered the people, and they went, and he and the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. So what did Joshua do? He had resolve. That's our third point. And this word resolved, it, it has the definition. I love this definition. It's a firm determination to do something. That's what resolve means. It's a firm determination to do something. You see, where was Joshua? Where was the leader? It says that he was among the people. He didn't just say, okay, this is God's plan for everything. You guys go out, risk your lives, do whatever you need to do, and report back to me what happens. No, Joshua put himself with the people. He knew, I grew up in, on the Jersey Shore, and so you go to the boardwalk every summer, and you go by all the, all the carnival games and stuff. I think that's the best way to describe it. If you guys were to go to a carnival, and you got the balloon pop, and you got the, the water gun, and you're sitting down, and you're trying to get the, the thing up to the top, but every single one you walk by the Jersey Shore, they tell you you have to be in it to win it. And, you know, they have, like, all their little corny things. And you got to be in it to win it. And they're getting you all pumped up. And next thing you know, you're spending 40 bucks throwing darts at balloons to get a big stuffed animal that you will never use ever in your entire life. But Joshua understood that he had to be in it to win it. He understood that he had to have resolve. He understood that he had to have a firm determination to accomplish something. And so he found himself with the people. You see... To me, the best verse that goes along this is Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 62. And 
There it is right there. It says, but Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. To me, this is the perfect definition of what it means to have resolve. And the first thing you see is that these farmers, they have focus. And it says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back. Now, I was just part of my family. I come from a long lineage of farmers. And so when I was visiting up in Georgia, one of the first places we stopped was my grandfather's old farm. And I went to go fish one of his ponds. And so we drove out across the farm and they just finished with corn that season. And as you're driving down the truck, you're just looking and you see like all the perfectly lined up rows where the corn was. And to me, it's like absolutely beautiful. You're looking at hundreds and hundreds of acres of just perfect lines. And it's like, well, how, how do they do that? How do they make it so perfect? And I remember growing up being in my grandfather's tractor and later on being older, driving the tractor, he literally had autopilot. <laughs> he puts this thing and he says, go, and it drives a perfect line every single time. And he'd be sitting there eating his lunch, drinking you know, lemonade and everything, and it's doing these perfect lines over and over again. Well, as you guys can probably think, they didn't have autopilot back then. And so what they would actually do is they would line themselves up with the tree at the end of the field, or they would pick a spot completely at the end of the field, and as they would plow, they would have their eyes set on the tree in the back, so that way they would keep a straight line. Now, what would happen if you're constantly looking over your shoulder or looking back? Your eyes wouldn't be fixed, and you would start plowing sideways. It would mess everything up. And so in order to be a farmer back then, you had to have real resolve to stare at something and have the cattle move in the exact same line over and over and over again for up to days sometimes, depending on how big your field is. Now, it wasn't just the resolve of staring at something and looking at something at the end of the field and holding it, but it's the actual idea that you're holding on to a plow. It was hard. It was not easy. And so these farmers had the perfect resolve. And it says, no one having put his hand to the plow, no one who's actually going to do something and looking back is fit for the kingdom. If you're going to find yourself looking back, getting distracted with other things, this isn't for you. You see, it seems pretty, pretty difficult to do that. It seems pretty difficult to have resolve if that's one thing that God has asked us to have. It's pretty difficult to do all the different things that we're supposed to do in our Christian walk, isn't it? I don't know about you guys, but I find myself failing almost every single day. You see, Jesus had resolve. He set his face to the cross. And despite his own feelings, and despite the time where he's in the garden, he's looking at God and he's saying, listen, God, if you can take this away from me, take it because this is not going to be easy. I do not want to do this. But ultimately he says, it is not my will, but my Father's will. He had resolved, despite everything inside of him that didn't want to do it, he decided to do it so that we might have eternal life, so that we might have forgiveness for every single time that we failed. And if I were to take a look back at this year, at the prior years of my entire life, I can pinpoint different times when I failed in my Christian walk. Not just failed in my Christian walk, but failed in my walk in general. You see, this year, I wasn't the most godly husband. This year, I wasn't the best parent that I could possibly be for my kids. You see, I didn't wake up every single morning and do my devotion and spend time with the Lord. 
In fact, my walk had times where it was up and down this year. There was times that I showed complete love to my wife, and then I showed complete hate to my wife. There was times that I treated my kids with respect and honor that they deserve, and I, I disciplined them in a godly way. And then there was times where I just blew off the cuff, and I got angry at them, and I just unleashed uh, total dad power on them. You see, we all are going to fail. Whether it be in our personal walk, whether it be at work, whether it be parenting, whether it be in a relationship that you might have, every single person in this room is going to fail. But the true question then comes is, what do we do with our failure? See, I have realized that there are some things that I have to do, and it's repent, it's receive, it's rebuild, it's resolve, and it's repeat. You see, repent for everything that I failed in. My failures before God. Remember what failure means. It's to fall short of every area that I fell short in before God. It's receive. I have to receive that encouragement from God because if I don't receive that encouragement from God and my fellow Christians and close and loved ones, I'm never going to get out of that pit. It's rebuild. It's taking my plan that failed and now asking God for his plan and how I can carry out his plan and not my plan. It's resolve. It's once I know what the plan is, it's the, it's the fight to continue to do what God gave me to do. And then repeat. It's because I'm going to fail. It's bound to happen. Every single one of us are going to fail. And so this is what I found to be a, a circle that I'll continue you know, to carry out. And whether it be with my, me being a father, whether it be with me being a husband, whether it be me being a faithful follower or servant to God, or whether it be me at work, whether it be me with my sisters, whatever it may be, we all have to recognize that there's areas of our lives that we need God to interject his plan into. You see, Joshua and his men, they go back to the city. And they carry out the plan that God had. And if anybody is a war buff, it's a, it's a pretty ingenious plan that God had, and it, it carries out like clockwork. It's beautiful. The, the people of Ai see them retreating, and they think, okay, this is the exact same thing that happened in chapter 7. And as they're retreating, all the people come out of the city to, to carry after them. And as everyone's carrying after them, they ambush from the backside of the city, and they just absolutely slaughter everybody. They carry out everything that God had asked them to do. And just like Jericho, Jericho, they weren't allowed to have any spoils whatsoever. And they end up failing and taking the spoils. This time, God allows them to take the spoils. They carry out everything perfectly that he had planned and orchestrated. And you see that this is going to be the beginning of them dividing and conquering all the land that they were promised. They had to get over their hurdle. They never would have finished conquering the land if they were stuck in their failure that happened the first time around at I. You see, they repented. They received. They rebuilt. They resolved. And you'll see later on throughout history, they're going to have to start all over again and repeat and do all these different things, especially as they continue to fail. It's just the nature of the children of Israel. It's the nature of us as followers of Christ. So as I end here and the worship band begins to come up and play,
play and end here. But most of all, we have to look at our lives. First, take account of maybe not everything that happened this past year, but maybe now think about starting a new year and a new time. Are you ready to do these things? Are you ready to receive from God the encouragement that you need to continue? Are you able to rebuild your plan so that it looks like God's plan? Are you able to have resolve and put your hand to the plow and not turn away from that tree planted at the end of the field? And then once you fail, are you able to repeat all these steps again? Because it's hard. It's sometimes hard once you fail to get back up again. Failure hurts. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that it's, it's, it's easy to fail and it's easy to get back up on your feet. You see, we failed. God succeeded. He sent his only son so that we might have eternal life. He was perfect. He was the only person to walk the earth that never did fail. And so he took on all of our failures so that we might have the perfect eternal life that we get, that we don't deserve in our failures. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you again. Lord, I acknowledge the areas of my life that I have failed in. And Lord, I seek repentance. I seek to show you that I want to do a complete 180 degree turn from the different areas of my life that I find myself constantly falling into and the sin that continues to creep up. Lord, I ask that you, I know that you're going to encourage me. And we praise you that you're there to encourage, to uplift. Lord, show me and teach me how you want me to walk and give me the strength to have the resolve that I'm supposed to have. Father, we pray this and ask this all in the name of Jesus. In your name, amen.